Hey guys, producer Ken here with a very quick message before the show begins. Uh, in 2013, uh, I started working on a podcast with two of my very best friends, Paul and Ben. That show's called Jews and Reviews, and it's on the Atlantic Transmission Network. In fact, it's safe to say it's probably one of the inspirations for creating it in the first place. Well, four years ago, uh, one of the best men I know, Paul Cohen, you may know him as Paul Corey, hosted Jews and Reviews, uh, was unexpectedly admitted to the hospital. Uh, it was from there that he learned that his illness was due to a loss of function in his kidneys. Uh, right now, he's on dialysis three days a week, and the doctors have told him, hey, Paul, you know, try to live a normal life, which is very rough to do, you know, being on dialysis three days a week. Well, it turns out Paul is in need of a kidney transplant. So if you or anyone you know may be interested in learning more about becoming a living donor, please call the Living Donor Team at New York Weill Cornell at 212-746-3922. That's the Living Donor Team at New York Weill Cornell at 212-746-3922. Another way you can help is just spreading the message by sharing these links and giving it the hashtag Team Paul. That's T-E-A-M-P-A-U-L, standard spelling on Paul. We're certainly doing all we can to help a good man get through this, and we hope you'll join us. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Oh, hello. This is the Bitch Seat Podcast. Uh, we're back. It's another Sunday of uh, nostalgia and uh, remembering uh, the acutest details of things from when we were so little, even though we can't remember what we ate uh, for lunch yesterday. I have no idea, to be honest. I had I had Chinese food. Uh, it was leftover. You don't have to brag about it. Anyway. I'm not bragging. It was gross, but. This is Phil. Hey. I'm Lissa. And uh, today on our podcast, we have um, the amazing and lovely Puya with us. Uh, we decided to go without a last, ma- last name because we decided if you can Google Puya actor and find her immediately, no problem. <laughs> um, so, uh, but before we welcome Puya into this conversation, um, I think what we're going to be talking most about today is uh, the, the mask, as it were, that we wear around uh, in... in in public, in school, basically, when we're little, and um, how we all feel such explosive feelings inside of us, but on the outside, we seem like totally normal, well-adjusted kids for the most part. Um, and I'm going to read a little selection from this composition book from 1996, uh, where I, of course, waxed maudlin and poetic per usual. And this notebook, I I'm, I have to stress, does not have a name. Yeah, for some reason, you know, I named all of my journals. This one, I think, because it was one that I kept alongside my journals the whole time, and I just used it for my my private writings that weren't necessarily what I did on a day-to-day basis. Yes, these were like the like unplugged sessions of your diaries. Right. Uh, you could say the like, B-sides. Yeah, if we're going to... Jumping back to the last week's episode, and we talked about John Lennon and the production studio uh, outtakes. This yes. is... These are them. Exactly. Although I have to say some of the things in this book were actually assignments that I handed in because we would have to do an assignment and hand in the whole notebook. I don't know if you ever did that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. in hindsight, I hated that. that's terrifying. The, the other things that the teachers must have seen 
when I handed this notebook in. Oh my God. Because <laughs> um, this was most definitely not a school assignment. I was just feeling, I'm sure, bad for myself. Yeah. So uh, at the top of the page, uh, for some reason, uh, we have thunder only happens when it's raining. Players only love you when they're playing. Uh, that, uh, in, very insightful. Uh, very insightful. And then, and then uh, this. I lay back and wondered about life. Something about today would not let me focus on the weary picture. Reality was all of far-off days. Why can't I think anymore? Depth is beyond grasp. By the way, this is so esoteric, none of it actually means anything. I really have been taken away. A self-identity, one that was once deep, was once rich and full of feelings, was once mine, has been sucked dry by the desert of shallow monsters which I call my acquaintances. Oh, God. I know. Why would you be their acquaintances? I, because that's all, that's all I had, Phil. People I know and talk to, people who can't see as far back as yesterday or as far ahead as tomorrow, people who are afraid to. Basically, people who were healthy and stable and living in the present moment while I was... Suffering. Suffering. Hiding behind a mask for so long, I feared I might become one of them. But no, that would be as awful as death. Every so often, in the lonely silence of myself, I can hear an inner voice cry, Here I am, don't forget me. Lucky for that voice, myself is still rather here. It simply becomes more difficult to find sometimes. And now, I remind you, this is 1996. I was... 6th grade? 13, maybe? Oh, okay, 7th se- grade. Yeah, I mean, the well, worst of it. The, the worst of it. Yeah, that's, that's... It is par for the course. Um, because, I mean, as you know, and as I'm sure many listeners who know me know... I was so caught up in how much of an outsider I felt like when I was growing up, which in hindsight is just ridiculous. It's like I was looking for things to be upset about because I actually had a pretty normal childhood life. I just felt like I was thinking about things that nobody else was thinking about. Well, did you ever tell these people what you were thinking? Well, I don't, to be honest, I don't know who these people are. My guess is just that, that it's all my classmates, you know, these people who were, um, you know, fun-loving, soccer-playing, Dave Matthews-listening, J.Crew-wearing, well, you know. well-adjusted people who were having a nice life, and I resented them for having said nice life. But if there's anything we've learned from this podcast, it's that these people were probably not having uh, as nice a life as you'd think. No, they were probably going through the exact same thing that I was. I don't know. I'm not sure here what I was trying to... Um, say was lacking. I think usually when I didn't write for a long enough period of time, I sort of floated away from my grounded self, you know? Um, but did you, like, did you ever feel, cause I don't know, you just generally seem like a happier, more well-adjusted yeah, okay. person That's than I am. That's not reductive at all. Well, it's my favorite word. Anyway, <laughs> it is. It, you've used that a lot this because week. Because I've learned that, that the feeling that I have sometimes when people like to just sum me up in one word feels reductive. And now that I know what that word is, and you're going to use it all. I'm going to throw the time. it at everyone. Okay, fair enough. Okay, because well, I'm tired of being stuck in boxes. <laughs> Breakout. Breakout of the boxes. Um, yes, I did. I had that. I mean, do you remember when we started doing live shows and I brought on uh, my mask that I made yes. based off the movie The, the Mask? mask. Um, I mean, that's pretty on the nose. But in, in art class, we had a kiln, and we learned how to sculpt things. So I made the mask from the mask because I was obsessed with Jim Carrey. I was a very deeply unhappy kid because I actually didn't really have any friends, and I knew who was my friend and who wasn't. And sadly, all of my friends were only just friends because of social functions. And 
and sports. Right, acquaintances. Like, you happen to live in the neighborhood with them. It doesn't mean that you're soulmates. No. But I was ready to find my soulmates, like, ASAP. Me too. And and for me, that that came in the the guise of uh, webchatbroadcastingsystem.com's Star Wars (laughs) Cantina chat room uh, later on. So my mask was actually my face, my normal face. But back in the day when you could be anonymous on the internet, I was on that on that site creating my actual life that I'd have preferred to live. Right. Right. With actual, with people who I had much more in common with and shared wavelengths with than uh, the people in high school. I don't know. I think if given the opportunity to be honest about who I was with the people, with my quote unquote acquaintances or classmates or whatever, I don't know what I would have said to them. Like, I don't, I don't know what I was, I wasn't hiding anything. I was just desperately lonely. Yeah, well, that's kind of when when you're in high school. Do you ever do those peer leadership club things? You ever no. do? We used to do um, exercises where we get to know each other. We take something that means a lot to us. We do these teamwork exercises. We did like a whole like two day retreat. Uh, it's very like physical and a lot of acting games. Team building, yeah. Team mm-hmm. building. I feel like more of that for us as kids would have helped everything. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say. Um, because we did do that like when we had um, field trips or like when we, you know, we all went to Camp Hazen and stayed in cabins for a few nights and got to know each other in a different way, in a different context. And whenever there was the opportunity to talk about our feelings, I was just on that, you know, immediately. But we didn't really, talk, like talking about our feelings wasn't part of the curriculum. And I yeah. think maybe we would be better served to have that. We should. I mean, if there was at least a half hour class devoted to what's inside of us, uh, and how we're, you know, how we're dealing instead of just like, oh, uh, here's officer, uh, fuckface is going to talk to you about, uh, dare for a while. Uh, that, no, don't that's, do drugs, that's unrelated. Guys. That's totally unrelated. No, no, no. But like we had much more of an emphasis on the war on drugs than we had on mental health right. oh, when absolutely. we were kids. Well, yeah. It would have served us better the other yeah. way around. Let's talk to our, our guest. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Unless you wanted to keep going. Well, no, I was just, I was just going to mention, and I, I've brought this up on a show before and I think it bears repeating because I think that we should lead with find other ways to do this in our schools but like when i was in uh 10th grade i think we had this big assembly it was the entire 10th grade went to the auditorium uh the anti-defamation league was doing this program called the names can hurt us program and um it began with just an assembly where um you know we saw some video that everybody sees and then some members of the student body talked about uh instances in which their feelings had been heard but they got through it uh, which was all very like you know the audience separated from the people on stage but then they opened up the microphone for anybody in the 10th grade Uh-oh. to get up and say directly to anybody else in the 10th grade this was a moment when you hurt me and at first everyone was really nervous to do it but then like one by one there was this trickle of people and then and then suddenly there was a line like all the way down the aisle and it was the most beautiful thing that has oh, wow. that I've ever seen everybody there was not a dry eye in the audience everybody was weeping even the football players <laughs> even the football players and i remember going up there and uh and and saying to everybody, hey, I know that you all have this idea about who I am as this like really two dimensional like homework robot, but I have feelings. And like I didn't know nobody had particularly wronged me. I couldn't like I couldn't name a specific grievance, just the grievance of please don't put me in this box of a person. I have so much more going on in here. And that day changed the entire rest of my high school career. 
like for everybody everybody respected each other so much more so I guess what I'm saying is maybe that's another life that I have ahead of me helping kids no just putting that kind of curriculum into schools helping kids helping kids there you go yeah yeah. Well, that's wonderful. You know, something I would consider doing with you. So, hey guys, you can see <laughs> us traveling the country in our tour bus, just like the Partridge family. Would they coming let soon. a show called "The Bitch Seat" in a high school? No, we'd have to. We'd have we'd to be arrested. It, so we'd have to call it something else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, thank you for letting me have that segue. Uh, I want to uh, go ahead and uh, welcome this amazing guest to our show. She uh, is a, an amazing actress. Uh, we actually went to Maggie Flanagan together, and um, uh, you're going to get a beautiful intro song in just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Puya. <laughs> Could you ask for a, a, a more beautiful, dramatic entrance music? I'm feeling like Lady Guinevere walking <laughs> down the aisle. <laughs> That's exactly what we had intended. Well, thank you. How are you? I'm great today. Thank you, especially after having that visual of Lady Guinevere, so long as I get to have an affair with Lancelot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We can build that in. Um, I'm really excited that you agreed to do this. I know that you, like me, are a person who loves to talk about her experiences, you know, in the service of helping others feel comfortable talking about their experiences. Yeah, yes. if you're trying to elegantly tell me I have a big mouth, yes, I do. <laughs> hey, listen, I wasn't, but I, I think a big mouths are beautiful. I think if you've got something to say, you should say it. Absolutely. I agree. Um, well, I want to, uh, uh, why don't you give the, uh, the, the, audio ship it's not the viewership viewership the viewers it's not, but they're not viewers they're not they're viewing listeners? anything listeners what if, what listeners what audience no listen okay we're gonna go with listeners okay listeners because it's also uh, branding lissa listeners that's true um uh your feelings about about having worn a mask growing up i know that you are familiar with this feeling my yep. feelings about wearing a mask yes i've worn actually different masks in my life yeah um I mean, just a little background. I um, I was born in 1978, which was one year before the Islamic Revolution in Iran, mm-hmm. and I grew up in Iran during the Iran-Iraq War. So I'm a revolution slash war child. Mm-hmm. But then add to that that I uh, as that article that you read that I said I was born a girl in a boy's body. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently, it goes as far back as when I was like two or three because my mom says like she took me to a doctor when I was three and then when I was eight and then when I was 11 and then when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when I was three or when I was eight. But um, this idea of a mask, I never thought of it as a mask, especially when I was younger mm-hmm. because as I look back on it, I was very well adjusted. I wasn't confused. Um I kind of just thought the world was just waiting for me to enlighten them. That's on, beautiful. On, on, on everything. You know, I was a very um, loving child. I would sit and listen to what everybody talked about and I would um, add my suggestions to it. But then as I started getting older and I started becoming aware of other people having a problem with me. Mm -hmm. You know, boys don't do this, boys don't say that, boys don't wear that, you know, all of those um, manifestations that we've attached to gender, Mm -hmm. like, you know, this is what boys do and this is what girls do. Um, And I think I started becoming aware of that around seven, eight, 
Uh, and then after that, then that's when the masks started coming. I imagine- As a protective mechanism. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I have an acting teacher. He says, sometimes we retract and we move inward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened for me was that I, you know, I was still dancing around and being a James Bond girl in my um, bedroom and talking mm-hmm. to James Bond and on the outside I would just I think what happened I stopped being outwardly right um, I would just sit and I would watch mm-hmm. because that was much easier than actually putting myself out there and then be judged and then that became the mask of this kid that sat and watched and listen, which in a way, not the worst thing, because I got to watch and listen things while people were not aware. Well, right. And to be honest, when you're a performer of any kind, if you're an actor or a comedian, that's what you do, that's what you do anyway. Um, so it just became more of that. And I think the mask just got thicker and thicker mm-hmm. and thicker. And by the time I'd hit, you know, 12, 13, it was the cracks were just showing up. Well, that's the, t- I mean, because I think it's like 11 when kids start to feel, start to become self-aware, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, 12, 13, the hormones and all that. Yes. Yeah, it's, like, it's almost like, you know, imagine if all the ducklings look the same and you get to a point and, you know, it's like they're all growing into something else. And then there's this one that's growing <laughs> into something else. That's when you start noticing the yeah. difference. And I think it was around that, like... Uh, seventh grade, eighth grade. Yep. Um, and I do have to say that I think my mask became more my sex appeal mm-hmm. because apparently I've always had it. So are you are you saying that you were um, prolific with uh, significant others throughout your life? You always had people attracted to you? Well, maybe they weren't so significant. Well, okay. <laughs> Zing! Uh, but I was, I was curious. Mm-hmm. I was, I was sensual, and and this is the interesting thing that it wasn't me seeking other people out. It was, uh, I I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. It was other people that were gravitating towards mm-hmm. me, and then. I mean, I didn't know how to respond to it. It's right. like, you know, if your parents don't talk to you, if you can't find a brochure about it, it's like, you know, it's not some divine intervention that like, this is what you do. Right. So I just kind of responded to everyone in a positive way. Now, looking back on it, it's um, it's interesting. Um, some of it self-destructive, some of it destructive altogether, some mm-hmm. of it may be ever so slightly bordering on nurturing. Um, But then that became the other mask. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, okay, if everybody thinks I'm a freak, then I'm going to go and find those people that are going to give me affection for that 15 minutes, half an hour, hour, Mm -hmm. whatever. And then that became this other mask that probably lasted for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what I replaced was, if I'm not going to get affection and validation then I will use this thing that I have that people want, and that's lust. So I became the object of lust. And at, at around 12, 13, you say that, that was sort of? Uh, 13, 14. And then when did, you, when did you move to the States? I moved to the States uh, 
in June of 97. I was 19. So you had finished school. You went through your entire schooling process I in went, Iran. I went through uh, high school in Iran. Last year, I basically didn't go to school because I'd had a full-blown mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. I was on heavy medication. I tried to commit suicide, you know, mm-hmm. many, 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 many times. Um, so the last year, I didn't go to school. I barely passed. Uh, I was an A student up to that point. Mm-hmm. But the last year, it's like, I don't even know what the average was. Like, I barely, barely passed. And, God. So was it the weight of the mask, or is it just the amount of work, or was there trouble in school? Or? Um, see, I think what happened, it started when I was 16, and I had been depressed for about six months prior to that. It's what Lissa was talking about. It's... Um, teen years, there, there's this very complicated period because you're not really a child anymore, but you're not really an adult. You're still at somebody else's mercy, but you can think on your own. Mm-hmm. And then there are other influences added to your life. Most of it, your peer group, which isn't as prevalent as when you're 10, mm-hmm. around 15, 16. And I remember um, going to a therapist with my mom and... I said, you know, what I was thinking and what it was that was making me very depressed. And the doctor's like, you're not going crazy because I literally thought I was going crazy. Um, and when we talk, he's like, you're not crazy. This is, uh, you have what we call gender dysphoria, gender identity disorder. That's what they called it at that time. And then he also told my mom, but when we got out and we got into a car, my mom said, I heard what the doctor said, but you can't do anything about it until your father and I die. That was literally the moment that I think that was that was breaking when, point. Yeah, I mean, I just went into free fall. Um, I stopped eating. I I was losing weight. I it was just a very difficult seven eight months. And then to add to that, my grandfather also died in the middle of that. Oh God. So then my my parents became even more distant because they were dealing with their own grief. So I have my own problem. I've just lost, you know, like the love of my childhood, which was my grandfather. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up with him. Like he sat with me and did my homework. So he was very important in my life. And then I have my own issues, which I know my parents have no interest in hearing mm-hmm. about. I have nowhere else to talk about it. And that's when I started cutting myself, you know. Because that's what you can control. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about was it the mask, it's it it was just getting too heavy and I couldn't breathe underneath it. Mm-hmm. And there was no way of taking it off. So the way I look at it, I'm like, if I have to live with this mask, then I will die under this mask, but I can't live with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think 10, maybe 11, maybe 12 times. Uh, suicide attempts and I ended up in the emergency room and it was it was a very dark time not just for me I'm sure for my parents as well you know no parent likes to come and find their kid you know laying on a bed with a knife in a uh, pool of blood yeah but my parents didn't know what to do about it right which I think I mean a lot of parents don't and I mean Mm -hmm. various various levels of, of mental health Things and that's why I'm I'm happy to bring light to all sorts of mental health issues uh, in the show. I mean, when I was in uh, 18, 17 or eighteen, and I stopped eating, I just stopped. Mm. Um, 
because I was so disgusted with my own self and it was a way that I could control my body. Um, and I got to the point where I weighed 79 pounds um, and the next cold was going to send me into the hospital. Um, and I was starving, but my parents didn't... First of all, they respected my independence, but second of all, they knew that I was a very strong-minded person and I don't think that they wanted to try to impose anything. They wanted me to be able to work it out on my own. Um which I eventually did, but I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of parents don't even know, the, the, aren't given the tools to know how to address this. I was just going to say that, that I, I mean, I, my issues mostly came out of being trans, but one of the things I want to do is targeting parents because I think even though media has this fascination, what I call trans fascination, you know, Caitlyn mm -hmm. Jenner and Laverne Cox and, and they're all fabulous, but the greatest ally of a trans child is not the media, mm -hmm. it's their family. Of course. But if their family doesn't know anything, doesn't know how to deal with it, doesn't know where to turn, doesn't know what to say, um, then no matter how much we glorify Caitlyn Jenner in her variety spread, that's not going to help those parents and that family. Right. And that's the reason I came out. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, when my family had to deal with my situation, there was no frame of reference. There was no external light to well, be shed on this situation. Not, I mean, and uh, especially not in Iran, I would imagine that it, it's even less less acceptable to talk about such issues but i don't know See, so trans is kind of like it's just i mean you're an outsider and and i totally sure. agree with you but 20 years ago here the only manifestation of a trans person was something you'd see on a Jerry Springer show. Right, right, mm. right. Um, so even here, people didn't talk about right. it. I mean, that's why they always say, you know, the, the T part of the LGBT is the last part of that community to be addressed. Interesting. Is because for the longest time, even on, you know, shows like Will and Grace and all of that. It remained a mystery. Yeah, or, or, or a butt of a joke. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and it's changed now and I always say I dislike transphobia and I dislike trans fascination because now it's become a fascination like you know we're these creatures that have come from a different planet sure but I mean you know as with everything else you know it, it's a fad right now it, and then it will, it will become part of the lexicon yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's gonna it'll blend seamlessly yeah um, well, I want to, I want to talk about this beautiful, um, notebook that you brought in context of what we're talking about here. Um, Puya brought this, this journal that has, it's, by the way, it's not even held together by any binding anymore, which I love. It's so well loved. It's pink and it has this beautiful script on the front that you said, says diary. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, to be very honest yes. about how old this is, I think I got this when I was nine. So technically that book is about 28, 29 years old. Amazing. And filled with all kinds of uh, ephemera, scraps, um, poetry, notes that you saved, pictures. Um, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about, about what this uh, notebook meant for you growing up. I think that's the only diary I actually have. Um, you know, I, I was reading through it and the first couple of things that I wrote in it was basically about my grandparents, which I guess now reading mm -hmm. back, I realize how much they meant to me. Um, and a little about, you know, the Iranian revolution, me being the historian. I mean, everything is so gist, 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 that it's like, if you wanted to connect the dots, you would not end up anywhere in particular. <laughs> um, but then after that, as there were moments in life that I documented in this, I also started realizing that 
when I had nowhere, no one else to turn to, when I felt that the world was kind of caving in, mm -hmm. then I would turn to this. Or my fantasies of what a life that I could have possibly had when I didn't feel I could have it. Right. I also noticed that I had a suicide note in this. Oh my God. Or maybe, you know, maybe a couple, but I just read one of them. That it was like, you know, the night before one of one of my things that I'd written it. And I was giving away my <laughs> earthly possessions. Um, I had, I don't know, um, like a... Um, smelly rubber collection you know uh, erasers erasers oh yeah uh, that smelling was such erasers. an 80s thing oh absolutely for me. you know I, I had a yellow one and a pink one and an orange one and um, i was like allocating to, to different yeah. people and you know my silver bracelet this is where it goes and, and it's like your that. version of a will my version of a will i had nothing but yeah i, I was <laughs> i was spreading the goods um and at some point it came and then at some point it became a diary of people i had slept with Oh. And what each person, like, you know, kind of like a rating system of, <laughs> of uh, when I got 200, I thought, okay, we're done. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> on the 100? Yeah. You're doing much better than, I feel like the majority of people who are on this show were like super awkward and unpopular when they, they were they younger. If you put all the guests up to, up to now together, counted. At it all would be more. less than 100. Yeah. <laughs> but because they were... Because Nerds we because we we were people who like had failed crushes. I mean, like dozens of failed crushes. And rather than move on, we just sort of you know hung on to that one. Oh, more. I had a lot of failed crushes. It's just that along the way, like the people I slept with, there was nothing real about it. Right. And this is what I want people right. to know: that because I felt that the world would not allow me to have anything real, mm -hmm. then I went with the thing that I could have. It, it's almost like almost like a petulant child that says, okay, you tell me I, I can't touch it. I'm going to go and touch it. Of course, of course. And I'm like, okay, you know, nobody's going to take me out. Nobody's going to be nice to me that way. Okay, then I'll just have sex with three friends at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, now looking back, a part of me is like, well, go mama. <laughs> um, but, but the other part of it, it's definitely not glorifying my promiscuity. Right. Uh, I think in a way it's sad and I think actually a lot of high school kids do this because this is the only way they feel they can validate themselves. Absolutely, especially kids who are either have um, you know issues with their family that are unresolved or they don't feel like they do very well in school or they don't have a thing they're good at, you know, everybody has their I mean my thing was I was a great student but that was that didn't bring me joy. You know, I mean, like, okay, I was a, I was an A student. Well, you show me a sixteen-year-old that says, "Yeehaw, I'm I'm an A student." My parents even weren't that thrilled if I got a B. They're like, "How come you got a B?" But if I got an A, it wouldn't be like, "Wow, you got an A." So then I'm like, right. "Okay, well." They just expected you were going to do well anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you were were you an only child? I am technically not an only child, mm -hmm. but my brother was uh, sent to England in 1987, mm -hmm. and he was about eight years older than me, so he mm -hmm. kind of like got smuggled because my dad didn't want him to uh, be in Iran during the war. Wow. And that was when my family basically broke up and it never got back together again. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a little traumatic for me because nobody told me where he was going or oh why God. he was going. So one day he was there and the next day he wasn't there and nobody explained it to me. And I was like nine at the time. And after that, I basically grew up as an only child. Yeah, so right, right. me, myself, and 
I <laughs> became, you know, it's like my own triangle. So, um, I mean, I don't like, I think this is really interesting because we're usually talking about very like fluffy things on this show and you do had, you, you, I, I, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh no. Well, just be, just because the nature of, of childhood is usually, uh, kids are really, really unhappy because the only thing they have to be unhappy about is whatever, like nonsense that happens to be around at the moment. But like most kids don't have to deal with these really intense issues when they're super young. Was there anything, was there anything that you had that you liked, uh, or, or, um, music that that allowed you to be a kid when you were a kid or were you just very serious all the time i think i loved it when we had guests Mm -hmm. when other people around because that would mean my parents wouldn't yell at each other fair enough fair enough i you know it took me a very long time to realize why it is that i liked it when other people were around or when we would be at somebody else's house and i loved it Mm -hmm. and i hated being at home because when we were at home, it was like a time bomb. You know, how long would it take before they would start screaming at each other and running after each other? Or my mom uh, or my dad to like be angry at my brother and, you know, hitting him or chasing me. And, you know, um, it was not a, it was not a happy, joyful kind of family. And now looking back, I'm like, I think I was the kid of this very dysfunctional dysfunctional world and mm-hmm. my brother was my protector mm-hmm. um but i loved it and my grandparents more than anything because mm-hmm. they i think i saw my grandparents more than i saw my parents because my parents worked and my grandparents took care mm-hmm. of me with mm-hmm. love i mean like love absolute unconditional love mm-hmm. so i think if i do have that root and that core which i am so very grateful for is it, your grandparents it, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did your your grandparents? You have a very you had a very strong relationship with them. Were they were they, uh, were they ever privy to what you were going through? Or? My grandparents, I don't think so. However, a couple of years ago, my grandfather's sister, because my grandparents have now uh, been deceased for uh, a little over twenty years, so my grandfather passed away when I was sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandfather's sister had told my mom that. Towards the end, like the last year or so, one time when she was there, uh, my grandfather had confided in her that he thought that I was different and that he didn't know how things were going to turn out mm. and that he hoped, he hoped everything would turn out well for me. Mm. Oh. But, and my mom says, you know, it's like, um, because my grandfather was a very astute man. He was... Um, he would sit and and work with me like he's the first person that taught me how to sketch mm-hmm. he was he had this great attention to detail and i think he must have seen but it's also a matter of vocabulary you know now we talk about trans but in a world that you've never heard that word you don't even There's know no what it is you're talking yeah. about but the fact that he'd seen something and he had come to some sort of decision that it was something to talk about i would say that had he been around he would have found a way to understand what it is Mm -hmm. but beyond that point you know you you can't help when people are around and when they're not it's like when he he was there until the difficult time but he was almost a protector up to that point and that fell to you i mean was there somebody post 16 a mentor somebody that uh guided you through was that all you 
I think it was pretty much all me um, for about six months period uh, there was this family mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the the gentleman was a colleague of my dad's and my parents had already decided that if I was going to live if there was any future for mm-hmm. Puya um, that it could not happen in Iran. That had different reasons. One, they could not imagine what other people were going to think about them, mm-hmm. nor did they think that society at large would accept me. Right. Um, so they had already decided that I was going to have to move. The first option was England, because that's where my brother lived, mm-hmm. and then came United States. But my parents were having such a difficulty communicating with me that I didn't even know that my mom was leaving until I came home one day and I saw her luggage at the door. So Wait, it, but she but didn't you go with her? Not at first. My mom left about 6 7 months before I did. Oh my gosh. And like nobody communicated to me where she was going and at this time I was like 17. So I think I just one of the reasons I don't like having people be in charge of anything in my life is because I just feel that um, people don't take me into consideration like they don't explain what is going to happen to Mm -hmm. me exactly well it sounds like that happened a number of times first when your brother you know disappeared to England with no reason there was more than that (laughs) you know I think I was in first grade and like my mom because my brother was already gone my my brother left twice but this one time um, I would come from school to my grandparents' house first, uh, you know, first grade, and then at nights my uh, my dad would come and pick me up, and I would go home and I would have dinner with my parents, and then for a week they said you're just staying at your grandparents, your mom is gone on a trip. My mom never said goodbye to me, oh nothing, and then years later I'm like, okay, your mom had a surgery. I'm like, didn't any of you think <laughs> that like? This seven-year-old child that you know listens to everything mm-hmm. and all of that, that I would feel a little deserted that my mom just yeah. left on a vacation and didn't even say goodbye to me. Yeah. And then she came back with like this little stuffed animal, which I had for many years. Mm-hmm. But it's things like that. Or when, you know, I was four and like my mom left us for two weeks because my parents were having a really hard time. And my brother and I got left with my dad. Um, and my mom just went and lived with my grandparents. And we were just left, you know, with my dad. Oh my and I'm like, a child that age might not understand intellectually what's going on. But you keep feeling deserted. Right. What you take in is the, is the yeah, it's like getting abandoned. Go, yeah. And people go. And I think that is very much a part of who I am. Um... There's a there's a little slight eeny meeny uh, trust issue there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Tiny. Mm, yeah, just a little. I mean, with during all this time, did you ever um, did you have uh, friends or classmates or acquaintances that you trusted that you spent time with, or were you really a solitary kid? Um, I would say the last two years of being in Iran so between 16 and 18 I was pretty like there were people around me but it was more of like those you know one-time lovers Mm -hmm. and and people like that so acquaintances Mm -hmm. but 
I think I had three close friends, but I couldn't hang out with them a lot because one of them, his mom didn't want him to hang out with me because she was afraid that he would catch whatever I had from me. Hmm. And the other ones, you know, we just, like we'd been childhood friends, so we didn't live somewhere close. So I would only see them if I went to my grandparents' house. Right. And at that point, my grandparents had passed away. So there was just no reason for me. So for the most part, it was... It was just me and this slew of people. I mean, like now looking back, I don't even know. There was no internet. I don't know how I found all of these people or how these people found mm-hmm. me. But there was a lot of non-significant others. And you, they weren't people that you met in school? They no. were people that you just kind of met in passing outside of? Yeah, now looking back, I'm thinking there must have been a time that I was a very well-known name in Terra. Well, well, because if you're... Because I'm trying to... I'm trying to lay out in my head like what a typical day like school day would be for you say when you're when you're 14 15 years old like was it did you go to school every day and just kind of do your work keep your head down and go home quietly was there um was there uh uncomfortable interaction did you have some a buddy system i kind of did that until i was 15 Mm -hmm. you know because i was quiet right i'm shy right I'm, i'm naturally a shy person um and I was always very studious and I went to painting classes mm-hmm. and I went to piano classes. So that's all I did. And I studied English and I studied French. And for so. the most part, people left you alone. Yeah. You know, because I mean, like when you're going to study French, it's like, you know, I was the youngest. Right. Like everybody else was, I don't know, 15, 20 years older than me in French mm-hmm. class or English class or sketching class, everything. So I was always the kid. Right. At school. For the most part, people left me alone because, you know, I mean, I was the nerd. Right. Um, Very attractive nerd. (laughs) Um, But a nerd nonetheless. Sure, you know, bullying comments and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing much more Mm -hmm. than that. But it was when I was, I think, um, 15 or 16 that I had told somebody that I was interested in, like a friend of his, that I found him attractive. Mm -hmm. And somehow this got around the entire school within a day. Yeah. Within one day. As it does. The whole school found out that I'd said this. Yeah. It was, from that point on, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Like I would come out, um, you know, during recess Mm -hmm. and... Everybody, you know, people who were a year younger than me, a year older than me, two years older than me. Everyone knew who you were. Yeah, everybody and everybody knew. Yeah, it's kind of like, and and it's almost like Scarlet Letter. Yeah. Uh, I know, my story is so exciting, so... No, no, no. I know. I heard. I heard your yawn over there. Did you hear my yawn? Yeah. I thought I was hiding it. No. You you yawn. I'm so I'm so engrossed, but I'm so sweaty, and if I take the sweater off, it's gonna make so much sound because it's wool. Why don't you just take the headphones off, take the sweater off? Okay. Can you guys keep talking? We can handle it. Yes. You know, I'm actually loving this this really bad memory because this just got so much more fun right now. Well, that's, that's I mean, that's, that's the I'm that's the for. idea. That is the idea. The idea, yeah. And it did become a nightmare. Yeah. And, you know, then there were people making advances to me. There were people making advances to me like they were the Al Capone. They're like, well, you know, if, if you give me this, then I'm going to protect you. And, and Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. And, you know, I um, I always say I have learned more about the nature of human beings mm-hmm. than I would have ever wanted to yeah. know in my life. But um, I can say this now looking back, mm-hmm. I've had a 
fun life. Not not a not a necessarily a very enjoyable life, but it's been exciting. I mean, I could write books about it. And you it. will. You will. And some of it is here. <laughs> I almost want to say like number fifty eight. <laughs> No, well, yes. No, no, I do. I do want you to read some, just so we can have some specifics. Whatever it is that you want to choose to choose yes. out of this, whether it's uh, a poem or poems that you have, I know because I know you're going to have to translate mm-hmm. whatever it well, is. Well, some of it is actually in English. But um, when did you start learning English? How old were you? Uh, I think I was about five or six. Okay, so you started young. Yeah. Um, give me like a general timeline that you want. Like, do you want something around 12? Do you want when I'm bargaining with God in 91? <laughs> do you want... It's like I'm like... Uh, it was hard at first. 94. Uh, just something just something that's uh, honest. It doesn't need to be particularly light, particularly dark, or just... Uh, Look! Oh my God, you can see the, all yes, my lascivious for, for the <laughs> there are For the listeners, there are... Big juicy lipstick kisses all over this book oh, when you were practicing. That's outstanding. Good lord! It's beautiful. See, and it even tells you when it was. It was third of December of '93, and then it was twenty seventh of December. Oh my god! There. And what are you saying? What are you saying on these? Like, what's a, a sample? Okay. Um, okay. I mean, just just take into consideration I'm fifteen at this time, even though now it's going to sound so very juvenile. Um, We're not judging. You know who we are. This is yeah. This is what that's we what do. this is about. <laughs> okay, Shahram, the name of this boy I knew. He was actually in theater. Mm-hmm. Shahram knows everything because I told him everything. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. I you know apparently genius does not does not escape me. <laughs> um, he understands, and I hope he likes me. I. Um, I somewhere it got wet here, so I do not know what it is that I wrote there. I will move there like him. He's different. He's wonderful. He's everything. Wow, apparently I do not boast. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he's everything I ever wanted. But I'm not sure of what... I'm not sure I am what he deserves so he will have what he deserves and I will carry him inside me Uh, can one love another just so as purely as I love him oh my god (laughs) no I know listen that's what we do here okay I'm hoping you know let's go to something a little less nauseating no, um, the more nauseating, no, the better, Puya. That's the for. point. That's, that's why I told you to bring that. Oh, this is why Lord. she opens it up with a letter or or, a, or an entry. Yeah. On yeah. um, okay, today is Tuesday, and funny enough, actually, this week, this week of ninety three. Uh, no, this is ninety three. This is twenty one years ago. Um, so that would be ninety five. 95? Yeah. Uh, January of 95. February of 95. Today is Tuesday. Tomorrow my love is going on a four-day trip. Today I didn't speak a word to him because he couldn't. And two, because I couldn't look in his eye because I knew that all the bad things that had happened to him were because of me. What? Talk about guilt. I love him so and I'll miss him very much. He's my life. 
He's the father of my child. He's my <laughs> Good Lord. He is, uh, he's my lover. Not really. But he is the only one that will stay eternal as the man I'll eternally love. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently that's not where I ended. Insignificant other, huh? Yeah, very insignificant. <laughs> this must have been a little more significant. Uh, I love that I don't even say who this lover is. I know, <laughs> his name isn't even <laughs> mentioned. Like, that's the best part. <laughs> um, um, the, that will stay eternal as the man I'll eternally love and as the ideal father and an excellent friend and a brother I'll never forget and will always love. Hope the best for him and wish his wife and children a good life with him for I could never be the Miss Lucky <laughs> of the universe and so on. Good God. Oh just, my gosh. Just... No, but that's great. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. This like universal longing. It does not matter what the circumstances are. Even how dark, like the kind of dark real life shit that you were dealing with. You still had feelings like this. This oh, longing. This is the thing about me. I love the idea of being in love. Oh, me too. You know, now I'm more like, a nice weekend would do too. <laughs> but I, yeah. So you don't even remember who this was or where he was going. I, I, I don't know where he was going. Um, when I'm saying like all of his trouble, because I think he got into trouble because someone had seen him with me, like, you know, just walking and then they'd gotten back to his parents. And, right, right, right. Uh, I think that's what I'm talking about. Were you, were you infamous in your, in your community? Like did kids, were all the parents just so nasty to you or, well, or suspicious? I don't know about all parents, but if this is the boy that I think. Yeah. He was my classmate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this was 11th grade. Um, it was a somewhat conservative school. Mm-hmm. Private or public? Uh, private. Mm-hmm. But, but conservative. Definitely conservative. Were there uniforms? There weren't uniforms. Um, but, you know, you had to have your hair a certain length. Like, they mm-hmm. would literally come and see, you know, if your hair is longer than what it should be or not. Oh, my God. And uh, I was just too fabulous for school. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, now looking back, I want to tell them, it's like, I'm like, bitches, you just didn't know how you how good you had it. Well, they, they couldn't. I mean, you... You couldn't fit inside a package that any society wanted to package you into. This is also something interesting when you were talking about, you know, uh, when you two were talking about, well, what is it you wanted other people to know? I think there's something about honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think honesty requires clarity, personal clarity of yes. like what it is you want. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're a teenager, you're not clear about what you want and who you want. So like this love of mine, I think he was so screwed up in his head. So he would like, he would come to my door he would have sex with me. And then after we were done, he would say, I've sinned. And it's your oh, fault. Oh, no. And he would say, I've sinned. And it's your fault. And Not then, his fault? Well, no. Never. Because because I had tempted him. Of course. I, I, I'm always like, it's like, I'm like, I wish I really had that power. Religion and accountability. They're too foreign <laughs> to each other. So, yeah. so I had been the temptress. And then, you know, so he would go and I would, of course, you know, cry my eyes out because... Uh, here's this person I have this great affection to and he tells me I've done this horrible thing and it's your fault and I didn't have any other source to tell me no it's not your fault right and you couldn't so he, check it against anything. and then he would leave and then a week later he would come back and do the same thing and again it would be my fault oh my goodness <laughs> good 
Well, yeah, there's going to be a movie of your life. There absolutely must be. Yeah. So, I mean, and when I look at it, but when I look at that kid and all the people that did all the things to me, from the guy who almost ran me over with the car because I declined his advances to, um, to the people that assaulted me. And you listeners, I have actually bit a human being to protect myself. So just so don't fuck with her. Well, she said it. Yeah, I didn't say that. But but yeah, uh, I've actually had to bite a human being to uh, protect myself, which I guess is who I am. You know, I would protect at whatever. You're gonna play Medea at some point. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I look back at these people, and I think that's been the biggest accomplishment of my life is that sure they did things that were unkind and they really screwed with my psyche but i don't think they meant to you're right and but i think that's such a such an evolved response i mean this is why i love you and i knew that you would be great for the show because most people who go through the kind of traumas that you did or who are bullied in any kind of extreme way i mean there are two ways you can go you can you can learn you can learn more about yourself and get some clarity about yourself so that you can zoom out and say they're only doing the best they can from their level of consciousness which by the way i think is an Eckhart Tolle quote that or ramdas um but you the fact that you speak about your uh, attackers with such love and you just give them such mercy um, well, let's is amazing. as far as love. Okay, but we'll, love, we'll love in the larger, like, Jesus sense of love, I guess. You know, <laughs> I know what I mean? I've always said Jesus and I are very close. <laughs> um, no, well, because I think having been born in a Muslim country mm-hmm. and having always had affection for my Jewish brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. uh, because I was always very aware of the history of mm-hmm. the European Jews and then, you know, how... Uh, they basically got pushed to the Middle East. I always say the problem in the Middle East wasn't really a Middle East issue. It was a European issue and they just didn't want to deal with it. So they just pushed it, it to the Middle East. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but when I always saw that and people say, well, this one killed that one's father and then so that one went for revenge. And the way I look at life, think about this. I grew up during eight years of war. Every day I watched reports of people having lost their homes, their homes having been blown up, uh, you know, watching um, the mutilated and, you know, all of that. And when I look back on all of that, I think that did something for me, which aside from the PTSD of growing up Mm -hmm. during war and, you know, all of that stuff, is that you get to this point, you're like, there's nothing good about this. So people that, you know, go on their... um, behind their microphones and keep saying war, war, war. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And when I look at it, I'm like, you know, even capital punishment, we punish someone for having done something horrible, but we're doing something just as horrible to that person. And somehow this is our version of justice. I'm like, we're not teaching anything new. Right. What I like to do with my life is, sure, that person ran me over. But I would like to think that if he had had a choice, if he had a had a choice to express himself otherwise if he had been allowed to express himself in a healthy way then this would not be what he would do um that's not saying i justify somebody going around and killing nine people no but i think that's why i think it's it's so uh amazing and admirable that you can speak like this and 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 uh you know the way you 
you recognized so early on that the answer to injustice is not equal and opposite injustice mm-hmm. at all. It's it's rising above that. It's not answering violence with violence, you know? Yeah. And also, I mean, to the extent that there is ever a, a, a good a good reason to watch like war you know reports on your tv or hear war reports on your radio for you in this like really traumatic like internal struggle that you were having mm-hmm. or like smaller level struggle you could see um this larger struggle happening outside of you and know that as hard as your struggle was it was not as violent as that mm-hmm. so i mean that's not to you know what i mean that's not to say that it's ever good to to be a child knowing that there's that there are people dying and being mutilated but you were able to have some perspective for your own personal struggle because of that background yeah yeah in so many ways i think you know my inner turmoil the turmoil in my family and that within this larger turmoil of a revolution and political assassination you spun that shit into gold you you became such you're such a positive person and it could have gone you could have been absolutely crushed by it you almost were a number of times if i were to say the essence of my life is stuff happens to everyone Mm. but who you become is a result of what you choose to do with that stuff absolutely and that stuff a long time ago i don't know 10 maybe 15 years ago i realized you know there have been a lot of unkind things that have been done not just to me a lot of other people and I realized within the trans community because uh, I've also seen how people have taken their journeys and I say you can say well people did bad things to me so now I'm going to take it out on you and you and you and you and and, and that's just going to be I'm just going to be on this revenge path or mm-hmm. I know how sucky it feels to be on the receiving end mm-hmm. of bullying or or unkindness or threat or you know anything negative and I'm not gonna do that I mean I became a massage therapist Mm -hmm. my essay into why I wanted to become a massage therapist I said I've seen a lot of negativity in the world and the idea of being able to heal another human body with my bare hands is fascinating to me Mm -hmm. I still think of it that way Mm -hmm. I think that way about acting I think that uh, I feel that way about cooking it's you know, all the negative stuff. And what is it that we're putting out in the world? And I don't mean, you know, just going on Facebook and say, oh, I feel love today and, you know, all of that stuff. But if you see someone sitting on the corner of the street with their dog and they have, you know, a card that says I'm homeless, most of us are like, it's bullshit. And it is probably bullshit. But I still can't resist the desire to wanna, I actually, on my birthday, which was Friday, Mm-hmm. Um, happy birthday thank you uh, I went to this guy and he had his dog uh, and he had this card in front of him like do not pet the dog <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like okay you're you're a very bossy homeless person <laughs> <laughs> um, and I basically I looked at him I said here's a dollar for your pooch and here's a dollar for you um and I'm I'm very frugal so mm-hmm. I would not like you know go and get myself something but and I looked at it I'm like you know who knows maybe that dollar is gonna make him see things in a different way maybe Mm -hmm. it will improve something maybe it will not but i've tried to take a positive step as 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 i see it Mm -hmm. and i would like to think that everything that i do in my life whether it was me coming out on facebook whether it was the advocate article whether it was my own article i was born a girl um if it can make someone 
see something in a more positive way than if I had not put that out mm-hmm. there, then uh, then that is a purpose. Um, so now and- now what you can do is multiply yourself by at least a thousand. Okay. Uh, and disperse yourself uh, out in the world. <laughs> <laughs> mini puyas. Yeah, little mini puyas. Like a chia puya. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I would totally buy that. What a great holiday gift, some chia puyas. <laughs> chia puya. um, well, I, I, you're incredible. I'm so happy that you came and did yeah. this. I, I really, you really are so generous and, and just opened my eyes. Yeah, it's a fantastic talk and off the beaten path of, oh my God, which Power Ranger did you like? And Yeah, not that, that there's anything wrong with that, no. but we I, this was definitely a departure from what we usually talk about, and yeah. I really, really, really appreciate we that. We stay within nostalgia, but it's very, I would safe. say, safe and Western-oriented because... Our lives were very safe and Western oriented. Fair enough. Well, you know, a little sprinkling of war, famine, <laughs> bombing. You know, a, a little dash of PTSD, mm-hmm. a, a little, you know, child abuse. Something like you know, j- just you need flavor. It, well, you need flavor. I appreciate that you value the things that happen to you as a sum of a, a, a very good story. Uh, I think it comes down to the fact that when I wake up in the morning and when I go to sleep at night, I like who I am. There you go. That has been an accomplishment. So well, you're look- getting farther. You're farther than I am already. So good job. Well, sister, I like you. <laughs> that's well. That's why I like you. Because you know. Because I like you. Because you're so nice. <laughs> I have a present for you. Totally apropos of nothing. Totally oh irrelevant. God. But I give I give things from my childhood home to all of my guests. Just like random things that would otherwise just sit in the closet and never see the light of day again. So for you, I have this random, very floofy Moulin Rouge esque. Um, red and purple like barrette. Don't be too surprised if I do a bouffant and put it right I, in front. I just think that you're fabulous enough that you would figure out a way to use this that it would actually look good. So this is for you <laughs> as a you. token of appreciation oh, for chatting you. with us on the bitch oh, scene. It smells nice. Does it? Weird. I, could, I, can't, I can't account for that. Well, <laughs> I like to think it smells nice so you can't take that away from <laughs> Well, Puya, do you have um, uh, 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 oh, well, there's a hashtag Puya Land, P O O Y A Land, and uh, what is your? Do you have a website or a, or a Twitter that you want people to know about? Yes, it's very surprising. Uh, my handle on Twitter is Puya Land, mm-hmm. and my website is puyaland.com, and my IMDb is imdb.com backslash puyaland. <laughs> Nice. Basically, if you look for Puyaland, you'll find it. That's all hardcore branding. That's it. It is. Just boom. Uh, well, thank you so, so, Seriously, so much you, for thank sharing you. with us. And I would love to have you back. Absolutely. Sure, well, you know where to find me at Puyaland. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. All right. Listeners, now you're all set. Uh, tons of inspiration for the coming week. All right. Have a blessed week. Have a blessed week. Yes, yeah, thank and, you. Uh, and we're still looking for a tag for the end of our uh, podcast because that's some crunchy chicken is not going to work. work. It doesn't work so, at all. Uh, so we're, we're taking suggestions. Yes. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, tweet at us at the underscore bitch underscore seat. seat. Yep. And, and uh, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Casal. Find us at thebitchseatpodcast.com. Have Bye. a great day. Bye. Hi 
guys, this is Chelsea. This is Evan. And we're the hosts of Call Us Crazy, a podcast all about diagnosable disorders because I have Tourette. I have obsessive compulsive disorders. So we're very, very passionate about destigmatizing and normalizing these and other disorders. We want to entertain and enlighten. Evan, how many glasses of whiskey have you had today? I have had zero and I'm going to a holiday party, so I'm going to fix that. Well, what you have, though, been drinking. I've had wine. Okay. And did you just, or did you just not peer pressure me into drinking wine with you? Um, I wanted to drink with you, so I nudged you in that direction. <laughs> Fair enough. What would you do if one day you went home and there was no whiskey left in the world? I'd be bummed out, and I would hope that there was room on my credit card to get more. But what if it didn't exist anymore, Evan? Um, I would have to, I would drink more wine. Okay, that's a good answer. Tune into Call Us Crazy. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!